If you uh, have your Bible with you, whether that be in paper or electronically, turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible. It is right in the middle of your Bible. Um, I don't know where it is if you use an electronic Bible, but it's, you know, in the, you know, I don't know, kind of, kind of in the middle too. I want to talk about the pace of life. Because I think one of the problems that we as a society are suffering from is that we move at too quick a pace. And because our pace is out of control, we forget when to stop and when to wait and when to go. This psalm, even though it was written thousands of years ago, I think has something to say about the pace of our life. Now this psalm, unlike some of the other psalms, was written in a very specific way. It was written in a way that we will remember it. And the writer, no one knows quite who he was, and no one knows quite when it was written, used a mnemonic device to help us remember the principles that are outlined and outlaid in the psalm. You know what a mnemonic device is, right? It's when, you, it's when you see something regularly that triggers a memory so that you can associate and remember something with it, right? So the mnemonic device that the author has used here is the Hebrew alphabet. Now in the Hebrew alphabet, uh, there are 22 letters. And so in this psalm, there are 22 sections. And so the idea was that at each section, as people remembered that letter of the alphabet, and as they came across it in their learning, in their daily life, they would remember one of the principles of the psalm. Uh, yesterday, Adamir and I were at a prayer breakfast uh, with a group called Christians in Public Education. And I did this little prayer thing where we sat in tables and, uh, and we prayed and we went round the alphabet and whatever letter you got as we went around this circle had to describe God. Right? So person A got uh, adore, B got blessed. You know, it got a little bit tricky. We went to the Q and the Zs. <laughs> but, but, but it was the same kind of thing as happening in the Psalms, right? Each section here is based on a letter of the alphabet because it wants us to remind us in everyday life of the message of these Psalms. Now, our culture has evolved uh, over the last 3,000 years. That may come as a surprise to, to some. <laughs> but the principles haven't. And so I want to take those principles and I want to apply a new metaphor to them. And so I was thinking, what is a metaphor that we can use that speaks to the principles of this letter, which are about the pace of life, and I want to draw your attention to traffic lights. Because I believe that this psalm is reminding us of three very, 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 very important things that we need to do as we journey through life. 
And my hope is that over the next week and the next few weeks, every time you stop at a traffic light, which most of us do several times a, a day, at least I hope you stop, yeah. We have some new drivers here. <laughs> In fact, new drivers, let's just kind of help me with this. Uh, little driver's ed. Uh, there are three lights. <laughs> the red means? Stop. Stop. Well, just for our new drivers, where's Sarah? Is she at the back? All right, so we got Riley and Bethany and Sarah who are learning to drive. So let's test you. So yellow means? Gun it. Gun it, no. <laughs> Do not listen to your father, Riley. <laughs> right? It, 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 means, it, it means wait because something's coming, right? And of course, we all know that green means go. Get off your phone and drive. What's that? Get off your phone and drive. Get off your phone and drive. <laughs> yes. Don't listen to that either, <laughs> drivers. There's a lot of people that do it. So I want to use the metaphor as a traffic light. And over the next few weeks, I want to talk about how we can stop and how we can learn to wait and how we can go at the appropriate time. Because it's when we understand these signals that we can get a right, healthy pace in our life. So let me tell you the the psalm, Psalm 119, starting at verse 1. How happy are those who are blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep His decrees and who seek Him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in His ways. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. The first thing that the psalmist is doing as he begins this metaphor is that he's reminding us about how good it is to drive smoothly and to drive safely. He's talking about traveling. He's talking about walking. He's talking about journeying through life. And he starts off by saying, it is incredibly joyful when we can drive smoothly through life. But as he's talking about that, he does so in kind of a negative context which suggests his hope of driving smoothly is aspirational rather than actual. He's not quite doing it yet. First of all, he says, how happy are those whose way, whose journey is blameless. The insinuation is that his life isn't blameless. He'd like it to be. He'd like to pretend it is. But it isn't. I think he's living in this moment the kind of life that many of us live today, right? That we pretend that something is right when actually it's not. We like to think that we are blameless 
But it doesn't take much to reveal that we are. You know how we uh, define whether our lives are blameless or, or whether we're actually uh, holding some blame that probably we deserve to? It's all about how we respond to an accusation. Have you noticed that when someone says to you, uh, did, did you do this? Or you did that, didn't you? So often it is our response that reveals to us that we're not as blameless as we thought. Reading this, uh, this book right now, it's fascinating, uh, 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 from the negotiator, I told you it last week. And uh, one of the things he says is that people who are living under blame use more words when accused of something. Because they feel they've got to uh, d defend themselves. And when we have to defend ourselves too much, it, it reveals us some blame in our life. But, but if we want to uh, drive smoothly, we live blamelessly. And one of the blessings of being a follower of Jesus is that Jesus died on the cross to take care of our responsibility and the wrong things that we've done that make us blame ourselves and blame others. So if you're riding smoothly, then you can be, be blameless. Verse 2 says another, another way that you can drive smoothly is if you can keep his decrees, if you can do the, the right thing, if you can follow the letter of the law. He's saying that if you can live righteously, if you can do the right thing in the right moment, in the right time, for the right reason, man, then you're, you're driving smoothly. But again, the undertone in this is, I'm not always doing the right thing. All of us can relate to that. As much as we'd like to think that we're, we're righteous, we don't have much righteousness of our own. The only righteousness we have is the righteousness that we have from Christ. So if you're, you're driving smoothly, then you're blameless. And you're righteous. And he says if you're driving smoothly, there's another thing you're doing. You're seeking God with all your heart. Every area of your life. He's saying, God, I want you here. I want you to speak into this. I want to honor you here. I want to, to worship you there. The first thing the psalmist says is, wouldn't it be nice if we can all drive smoothly through life? That we could all rightly pace our lives. That we didn't get stressed and frustrated and angry. That we didn't get in relational messes and we didn't have huge problems to solve. Wouldn't it be nice if we could drive smoothly? He says, God has established some laws, if you will, using our metaphor. These laws are the rules of the road. And if we follow the, the rules of the road, then in principle, theoretically, we can, we can drive smoothly. Many of us don't like the rules of the road. Many of us violate them uh, more often than we should. It's the same in our relationship with, with God, right? 
It says in verse 4 that you have commanded, O God, that your precepts be, be diligently kept. God's given us these rules. We have the, the rules of the road, not because uh, God is a, an angry judge, but because he's a loving father. That the rules of the road are there so that we can drive smoothly, right? The first thing that the psalmist is saying is, wouldn't it be great to drive smoothly through life? Anyone agree? I mean, that's a good goal, right? I mean, I'm sure you can all think of a, a ton of problems that would go away if we were better drivers before God, if we were living blamelessly and righteously and continue to, to seek Him. Then in verse 5, the psalmist starts to reveal himself. So he said, it'd be nice to drive smoothly, but so often we hit a bump in the road. Maybe it's a pothole. Maybe it's a curb. <laughs> Why were you laughing, Lisa? Is that something you've done several times before? Right? <coughs> familiar with bumps on the road, right? We want to drive smoothly, but we hit these bumps on the road. And his telltale giveaway is in verse 5, where he says, if only. If only. I want to drive smoothly. I want to be safe. I want to be strong. I want to get where you have for me, God. But I keep hitting these bumps in the road. I keep hitting these if-onlys. You know, if-only is a statement of regret, right? If-only is where he's starting to get honest, where he's saying, I've done something I didn't want to do. Maybe my, my life isn't as smooth as I'm pretending it to be. You know, so often part of our, our, our society and our, our fast pace and our, our social engagement encourages us to, to live with no regrets. You know, we've heard it said, you know, I, I, I don't want any regrets. You know, I hope to go to my grave with, with no regrets. Good luck with that. <laughs> if you can say that, honestly... You're kidding yourself. If we don't have regrets, there's a problem. If we don't have regrets, we're perfect. And so the Christian response to regrets is not to pretend they don't exist, but it's to own them, to confess them. Regrets remind us of our need for God's grace. They remind us of the bumps in the road. They remind us of the crashes that we've had where we couldn't rescue ourselves and God had to rescue us. Psalmist goes on to share some of his, if only, some of his bumps in the road. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes. You hear what he's saying here? Man, I, I, I'd like to drive smoothly, but I'm just not committed enough. Just not, not committed enough. I don't have the resolve. I don't, I don't have the discipline. 
so many disciplines that we want to build into our life, so many of these things that we know we have to do to get better, we could do them if only we were a little bit more committed been trying to lose a little bit of weight this week. And uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, and part of what I'm doing is trying to cut down on my, my sugar and, and my snacks. I, I lost five pounds this week. But here's the deal. <laughs> there were several cheat days <laughs> where I would have lost probably a couple of pounds more if I'd have been more committed to it, right? Whenever we lack some commitment, it's like we, we hit a bump in the road. Think about some of your friendships, right? If you're not fully committed to that friendship, it's a bump in the road. Think about your marriage. If you're not fully committed to that, there are lots of bumps in the road. Think about the, the projects you're working on at work. If you're not fully committed, you don't get them done enough, right? There are bumps in the road, he says, that come because lack of commitment. Then I would not be ashamed about, shamed when I think about your commandments. Another bump in the road, right? Shame. In our fast-paced lives, we have a horrible habit of shaming each other. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. But accepting shame and giving shame has no business in the life of a Christian. If we have been forgiven by God, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're living under some shame and you're following Christ, you can shed that stuff because He took it to the cross. If you are shaming another, then shame on you, and you need to take that shame to Jesus too. He's saying the shame that we receive and the shame that we offer is another bump in the road. Again, how many relationships with others, within our families, within our understanding of who, who God is, has that relationship been bumped because there's some shame. He says, I will praise you with an upright heart. The association is that he doesn't have one. When I learn of your righteous judgments, he's saying, I'm not there yet. I will keep your statutes, but Lord, never abandon me. I think that last little phrase perhaps reveals something that we are all afraid of about our bumps in the road. We think that if we've got enough bumps in the road, if we've got uh, enough if-onlys, then we may actually become abandoned. And so at the end of this section, he reveals the, the innermost expectation and fears of his heart. That if he keeps doing these wrong things, if he keeps hitting these bumps in the road, these if-onlys, then God will abandon him. I wonder if that's a secret fear 
in all of us. You see, we try to... We, we can't help but think that God has some kind of scale in heaven, right? And for many of us, and I still wrestle with this now, we just hope that when all is said and done, the balance of goodness outweighs the weight of our sin, right? And we have this, this fear... That if our darkness is greater than our light, if our badness is greater than our, our goodness, then God will abandon us and send us to hell. That is not how the gospel works. Tracy and I were at this event last night, and Doug and Lisa for, for Christian help. And the choir came and they sang one of my uh, favorite songs. It comes from uh, Liverpool and it's become a soccer anthem, which is probably where I heard it first. Um, <laughs> huh? It's from a musical. <laughs> well, you know, you say one thing, I don't want to. <laughs> I learned it on the soccer terraces, right? Because it was a song of fandom. And that song was, was <laughs> You'll Never Walk Alone. You heard that song? Oh, it's from a musical. It's from a musical. Well, so I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> so I've heard. I, le I, I learned it. That's not where I learned it. But I'm more of a sports guy than a musical guy. That's, that's all right. I'm so strong. <laughs> huh? Yeah, yeah, that's right. No, I'm, I'm happy to admit you might be right. I'm just saying that I learned it somewhere else. <laughs> but the song, <laughs> You'll Never Walk Alone is wrapped up in the gospel, right? Many of us fear that we're going to be abandoned by God because of our bumps in the road, but that's a lie. That's one of the promises that we make to each other as a church. You will never walk alone. Whatever you do, no matter how big your bumps in the road, no matter how gigantic your if-onlys, you will never walk alone because we love you, and we love you because we serve a God who will never leave us or forsake us or abandon us, right? Amen. So he says, wouldn't it be great if we could drive smoothly through life but the reality is we can't because there are so many bumps in the road. And what's beneath these bumps in the road is this irrational fear that God will abandon us because of the wrong things we've done. That is not true. However, if we start to hit too many bumps in the road, if our if-onlys start to mount up, then we would be wise to stop. We would be wise to slow down the accelerator and come to a halt and take stock of who we are and what we're doing and where we're going. This week, as you are journeying in your car, and as you hit a red light, I would encourage you not just to stop your car. I mean, you really should do that. <laughs> but to press the pause button on life for a minute. 
and stop the pace of your life and take stock. Am I traveling as smoothly as I can? If not, what do I need to do? Are there too many bumps in the road? If there are, what do I have to do to smooth out those bumps or go around them or do whatever I have to do not to hit them? If we keep hitting the bumps in the road, we need to stop and hit the brakes, right? I cannot tell you, and you've met them too, how many people are doing destructive things with their life and they think the best way through those destructive behaviors is just to accelerate those destructive behaviors forward and get through them. It does not work like that. If you are doing something wrong, if you are hitting too many bumps, you need to stop. And in the end of this first section of the psalm, he tells us how to stop. How can a young man keep his way pure? That's a great question. To, to, to put it in our metaphor, how can I and how can you keep our road smooth? And he answers very clearly by keeping your word. By keeping your word. This theme of God's word in several different words is translated 126 times, 176 times in this psalm. You know how many verses are in this psalm? 176. Every verse in this psalm is pointing us to God's Word. He's saying, when you stop, realign yourself, readjust yourself to God's Word, to God's truth. Because this is our rules of the road that we engage in as we journey through life. Drive smoothly. But when you hit too many bumps in the road, stop and spend some time with God's word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander. You know a way of saying that? I want to follow you, but don't let me take a wrong turn. Don't let me go off, off track. I have treasured your word. I value it in my heart. I do this so that I won't sin against you. Lord, may you be blessed. Teach me your statutes. I love that phrase, Lord, may you be blessed. Sounds so simple and it's so true, but you know where we get it so wrong when we hit the bumps? It's, Lord, may, may I be blessed. And, and so he's saying as we read God's Word, as we treasure God's Word, let's, let's kind of realign our priorities. Let's get things, things right again. 
I don't know if I've told the story to, to all of you about how I became the chaplain of uh, Orlando City. It was really a work of God in my heart because I've always been a soccer fan, but soccer had become an idol in my heart. And what I mean by that is that everything uh, about my team uh, set the course of my week and my priorities, right? If the team won, I was happy. If they lost, I was sad. You, you know the deal. Some of you know the deal, right, and how sports can do that to us. And so when I had the opportunity to become chaplain for Orlando City, I kind of felt God say, hey, uh, now that soccer is not an idol in your life, I want to use you in the soccer community. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. And so we've had this run. Last Saturday night, I was watching the game, and they should have been winning, and they were losing. And this was the game that was kind of almost the deal breaker for the season. And they were winning, and they gave up two goals in three minutes. And I just felt... This sense of uh, injustice and anger and frustration come over me in the same way that I felt when soccer was my idol. And so the game ended and I wanted to sit and stew. And I wanted to be frustrated and I wanted to be mad because I poured a lot of time and a lot of love and a lot of energy into this and it just, they just thrown it away. I wanted God to do something that blessed me. And so when I turned off the TV, I went to bed, I turned off the light almost immediately, and I said, God, I so want to let this, this sport become an idol for me again and get angry, but I want you to be my God. I want you to be blessed. I want you to be in charge. So help me to go to sleep so I don't think about it. And then in the morning, help me to rise to worship you. And as I was processing through that, I, I felt this pull inside of me that I needed to be the center of the attention, right? That my needs weren't been met, that, 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 that my idol was being lifted high again. And I had to remind myself and say, no, this can't be about me. None of this can be about me. It all needs to be about, about you. That's part of the recalibration that's happening when we stop, right? We're saying it's not about me, it's about you. It's not about me being blessed, it's about you being blessed. With my lips, I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about confession. He says that when we stop and when we take track of things, we have to be honest with ourselves and own up to what we've done and say sorry. And that's good news because when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive them. I rejoice in the ways revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. We want to pretend that we're driving smoothly. Sometimes we are, and those are sweet moments. But the reality is there are these if-only bumps in the road which can cause us to go in the wrong direction. They can cause us to crash and to hurt people. And if we're hitting too many bumps in the road, we gotta say, stop. We gotta see the red light. Let me wrap up with verses 16 and 17. This is what he says we need to do when we see a red light. And this is the challenge I wanna give you this week. Whenever you are at a red light for those 30 seconds, a minute, whatever it is, he says, I will meditate on your precepts. I will think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. 
I will meditate on your precepts. I will think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This week, when you stop at a red light, use it as a moment to recalibrate, to meditate, to think, to delight, and to remember. When we're hitting too many bumps in the road, we meditate, we think, we delight, and we remember. First lesson from the psalmist. So when life is out of control, when there are too many bumps, just stop. Because in those moments of stopping, we can meet with the God who recalibrates us and who forgiveness, who forgives us and who corrects us and who helps us put, who helps put us on the right path.